Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey there, Z Nation fans. Welcome back to another episode of the Z Nation After Show here on AfterBuzz TV. Tonight we are talking about Season 5, Episode 3, Escape from Altura. We are going to be feeling all of the feelings from tonight's oddly emotional episode. And guys, we also have a very, very special guest joining us in studio tonight, so stay tuned. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz <sighs> We were asking Michael last week why we couldn't have nice things, and that continues into this week as well. Yeah, this... <laughs> uh, feeling all the feelings. No joke, like, I was verklempt after this episode. I'm gonna Not say even gonna that, lie. I'm gonna say that white people in politics are the reason we can't have nice things. That's Especially not, in Altura. That's not an inaccurate assessment. Well, anyway, hey there, Z Nation fans. Welcome back to the Z Nation After Show. We're going to be breaking down tonight's episode, talking about the aftermath of that crazy cliffhanger we had, saying goodbye uh, to a beloved character, and also talking about you know where we head to next. It's going to be a lot of fun. Let's not waste any time. Let me go ahead and introduce my fantastic panel. To my left, Katie Cullen. Hi, all my buddies. Sadly, Michelle couldn't. Cullen could not join us tonight. She uh, did not escape from Altura. We need to go back for her. <laughs> we need to go back and find her and make sure she has a ready supply of biscuits. Um, but you guys... She's not dead. <laughs> I, I hope not. Uh, <laughs> but the, uh, you guys, please tweet her your well wishes. She will be back next week to join us. And I'm Megan Salinas, guys. We are going to be keeping an eye on the hashtag ABTVZNation. Katie's got you guys covered on the live chat. And guys, joining us in studio tonight is returning guest star and also a well-known cinematographer for this season and the director of tonight's episode alexander yellen thank you very much pleasure to be back and uh yeah nobody ever gets to be safe on c nation <laughs> no 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 plot armor we learned this in episode six of the first season technically episode, episode one. one of the first yeah, season. that's true <laughs> true but we've gotten used to tom everett scott being around <laughs> Uh, it's it's always sad to see a character um, leave this show. And, and we'll talk about that a little bit more uh, as we get further into our breakdown. But first and foremost, I, I do have to go around and ask, what was your initial reaction to tonight's episode? Because like I said, I had a very visceral, emotional reaction. I'm going to pull a mark and lean away <laughs> from the mic and just... Uh, <laughs> dying whale noises. And that is why I lean away from the mic. It's for you, listeners. It's because I love you. <laughs> um, Alex, getting to see fans react to this episode, you know, getting to see it all come together, how do you feel about how everything shook out? I mean, so the the first thing I'll say is we, we who make the show have probably a slightly twisted uh, <laughs> you, don't view, say. you know, view of killing off characters. Um, no, I mean, the, the, if if fans give a, give a big reaction, then we did something right, and there's something you know very special for us about uh, about 
you know, sending off characters. And I've, I've been fairly privileged in that I've gotten to send off a couple. Uh, I got to send off uh, uh, Henry Rollins uh, and Lucy last season. And that was uh, one of my favorite things I've ever gotten to direct on this show was, was uh, the death of Lucy. Uh, but, and so I think we, we uh, take an immense deal of pride in crafting, you know, really strong death scenes. And that goes all the way back to, to Hammond and to Tom Everett Scott and Mac, which is uh, one of my favorite deaths we've ever done on this show. Yeah, that was, that one he was, was beautiful. a rough one. Yeah, that was, it was hard to get through, but it was beautiful. beautiful. And that's the thing. It's like you want, you want people to have beautiful deaths. Uh, and yeah, the fan reaction definitely says we did our job on this one. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, it was certainly emotionally effective. That's for sure. How about you? What was your reaction? Uh, go back to the sound of Katie screaming into the void. That was my heart for sure. <laughs> I feel like I should just screen cap our text log and be like, yep, nope, this is what happened. Oh, yeah. I uh, After I watched the episode, I was immediately texting Katie in all caps. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, did they do that? Yep. I was so shocked. Um, but, yeah, something kind of great about this show is that when characters are killed off, it never feels cheap. It never feels... Um, like it's done solely for shock value, like a lot of other shows do. There, Nobody disappears under a dumpster for half a season. There's, there. F- fun aside, by the way, from episode from the last week's episode. Uh, did you notice that in the flashback, uh, Warren and George post up against a dumpster? No, That's, was that where Warren jumped over uh, Georgia to protect her? Like when no, they, no, no, when no, they not, not from the grenade. When when she pulls George away, they kill a couple of zombies and they run and they take cover behind a dumpster. And she gets attacked when George has her first kill. Oh, okay, yeah. That's up against a dumpster, and that was <laughs> that was very deliberate. <laughs> So, but they didn't check under it to see if there were any survivors under that. So I'll if, stop. if the media has taught me anything, it's that in the event of a zombie apocalypse, run to your nearest Find dumpster. Find a dumpster. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, before we dig too uh, deeply into tonight's episode, we have a quick announcement for you guys. We do. Hey, After Buzzers, our network produces after shows for nearly all your favorite TV shows. From drama, reality TV, sci-fi, and more, there is no network that works harder to serve television fans. But we need your help. We're asking that you please subscribe to one or more YouTube channels. By subscribing to our channel, YouTube will continue... YouTube will suggest content that's tailor-made for you, and you'll help AfterBuzz continue to grow. And if you're worried about pesky notifications, don't be, because they're optional. So hit that subscribe button now for this channel, and check out all our other AfterBuzz YouTube channels as well. Let us know you did so in the comments, and we'll thank you on air. For now, thanks for being the best fans and for helping us be the ESPN of TV talk. If you need a suggestion for channels, we live on the animation channel. And there's a special this week that I'll plug at the end of the episode. And, uh, again, if you're not already subscribed to this channel, I'm on the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. after show, which you can find all here. So, And Arrow is still going on even though I'm no longer there. <laughs> so still do the thing. That's still some good content. A lot of good stuff on here. The main channel, the animation channel, all the fun stuff. So hurry up and subscribe if you haven't already done so. And yes. thank you guys to our, everybody who already has. You're the best. All right. Um... 
you got uh, you mentioned a scene from uh, last week's episode, and I actually feel like it might be a little bit of appropriate to go back because not only um, does last episode very much directly tie into this week's episode, but also you directed both of them, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I did, and a lot of that had to do with with the fact that it is really like a two episode arc. So the, yeah. you had episode one, which was very much getting to Altura for you know Doc uh, for Doc Sarge. 10k and then uh the warren and cooper uh you know little house or, wrap uh, up um days of heaven <laughs> experience <laughs> um which 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 i know was a style reference for a lot of the work they were doing on that episode on was episode it? one was even in the script it makes reference to days of heaven a couple of times <laughs> uh but yeah two and three are, are very much a it's a two is a setup three is a payoff uh, and so it was, I mean, it's great for me getting to direct both episodes because I can really do, I got to do things in the first episode that then really directly do pay off in the second episode and look at it all almost like doing a feature film as opposed to doing two independent episodes of television. Yeah, in television, um, it, it's not its not something that gets to happen. I mean, sometimes it does, but it's not something that gets to happen very often because it's so different than film uh, in terms of, you know, a director will come in and, you know, they'll direct an episode, and that may be the last time they ever direct an episode on that show. It all depends. Um, you guys have a really good set of directors that, that come in and out. So, as a <laughs> case in point, um, but for, for an episode, for two episodes like these, yeah, it must have been really fulfilling to come in and get to do both parts of the story. Uh, absolutely. And I mean, we do have, I mean, most of our directors are in-house, so they work on the show in some other capacity, whether it's, you know, I'm the DP or their writer producers or Jason Key, who's the visual effects supervisor, or Juan Moss, who's the second unit director. Uh, most of our directors work on the show in some other capacity. So we have more interaction with one another than I think most directors on most shows do. But even then, the pace of the show is so aggressive that it's tough when you're to to you know brief the next director on oh here's a little thing I did here and here's a little thing I did there and sometimes you know if there's something really important you can you know, make sure that they reference that in the next episode of course if they have time uh, and there are other crew in the cast like getting involved on that stuff too but you know obviously when you're doing it all yourself you really have that kind of uh, control. Yeah, and if the next director was working on the previous episode in some capacity, they were there for at least part of it, and they get where it's going. So, it makes sense. Uh, I always, I always get a kick out of whenever um, cinematographers get to do directing spots on this show because. There's definitely everybody, of course, every director brings in something special. Uh, but whenever a cinematographer gets to do it, you can kind of tell. Uh, <laughs> um, and something I really appreciated um, in terms of the through line between the last episode and this one was the visuals of the immediate aftermath of that explosion. And I, I wanted to ask a little bit about sort of creating that very chaotic atmosphere. Um, so that was, uh, that was an idea I had right from the beginning. Interestingly, the, in the script, the, the two had ended not with the actual boom. Really? But with Warren, like Warren standing up and yelling for George. And, uh, you know, in the edit, we, we cut it off right on the, right on the bang and that sort of like, uh, tinnitus, uh, yeah, wine that, yeah. that takes you out that then leads you in that again the exact same tone leads you into the next episode um, and uh, again in the script 
the episode three started with Warren searching around the, you know, the rubble for George. But uh, I, you know, at working with Carl, I painted the picture of, and I think it was like an eighth of a, you know, it was like one line in the script that was like, you know, chaos, pandemonium, uh, you know, dying, de- the dead and dying everywhere. Um, and uh, Dan, this was a Dan Merchant script, uh, who I, you guys have had him on the show before, right? Or have you not? I don't know that we have. Um, he is. <laughs> I'm having a moment. Go ahead. Well, if not, you should. He's a he's a he's an, he's an engaging and entertaining uh, get person to to speak to for sure. So if you guys can convince him to come down here, you should. Uh, and oh, he he's directing the uh, the limbo episode. <gasps> Ooh. Also, there's a limbo episode. <laughs> yes, so we we will we will get to find out what I, happens at limbo. I appreciate that for a tease. <laughs> um, so yes, the Murphy the Murphy Wesson thing will continue. Uh, but uh, so this was his episode, and and I mean I really connected with the script right away. Uh, and yeah, this like I was like I want to draw this eighth of a page out and really paint this tableau of just death and destruction as all these little quick chaotic uh you know sequences and there you know there are a couple of different movies that that come to mind and i also loved uh some things we did even going back to like uh 202 the uh the white light where mac died um you know these like flash cut Sequences that we did when the characters are close to death, and they're they're sort of edited with these little flash frames and uh, exposure spikes up and down, and like close ups of eyes and hands on throats and blood, you know, pools of blood and things like that. And it just really, uh, you know, the sense of like nobody really knows what's going on. All you know is that there's chaos and suffering and death, and this is bad, bad, and we don't know who's alive and who's dead. Uh, I, I do really appreciate that. Even throughout all of this, we had little moments of comedy. Citizen Z trying to take the table leg out of someone and then realizing that they were still alive. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Oh, uh, oh you're still... Uh, <laughs> stay right there. Like, like he has another option. Uh, I will never tire of this series' use of silhouette shots. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, it, it's funny that we go from this very chaotic sequence into this very seamless action sequence that, like, you know, it's that moment when you recover from, uh, you know, a, a very chaotic ordeal or something very, um, very jarring, and you have that mental shift of, like, oh, okay, now there's there's a job to do. And I, I think that shift for me was actually my favorite moment of the episode was just seeing George silhouetted in the dust getting ready to fight. Um, so I really want to quickly go around the table and ask, Katie, what was your favorite moment of tonight's episode? Because that one was mine. Oh, you throw that on me. Oh. <laughs> Nope, I need a minute. You go. <laughs> well, that's tough to it's tough to pick a favorite. I think the uh the some since you brought up the silhouette work, that uh certainly the fight and then the aftermath when uh George finishes giving um the we call him the drunk delegate, um, <laughs> uh Leroy a biscuit and then she walks over to join join Warren at the podium. There's the you know wide shot of the hall and they're standing in front of these big windows in silhouette. That's absolutely my favorite frame of the episode. But I gotta say, the grenade going off. Oh, oh. oh my heart. Uh, that that shot. We were covering it from three angles, uh, and we can come back to that later. But that moment was just 
it, like that execution was just so good. Yeah, uh, it was. It, I have a lot of feelings on that particular scene, but it was beautifully shot. And yeah, the effects work was fantastic. So I can't. We'll we'll dig into it in a little bit. <laughs> Katie, did you decide on a favorite moment? I kind of like the rednecks. More they to the point, fun. I kind of like leaving them nude in the desert <laughs> because they're awful humans. They were a lot of fun. But also in terms of just small moments, back to that opening battle with Doc just swinging both of his hammers. For me, that was the click over into, okay, now we're going to fight. <laughs> right, every time Doc winds up with a weapon, you know it's about to be a good fight. Yeah, because he, he's got he's got hardware weaponry. It's it's always a wrench or a screwdriver or a hammer or something that came out of the toolbox and I love it. Seeing Doc dual wield hammers yes. and flip them both around. It's pro I need that as a gif. It looks just absolutely fantastic. Just fight me. <laughs> right, and Russell, I mean he loves like he just loves he like he hates guns. He had a gun very briefly in season 2 and like hated every minute of it. I think throwing the gun was his favorite <laughs> moment. <laughs> Uh, of that entire season, but like like getting you know, the, the hammers are certainly a pain in the butt for him to wear when he's not using them. But like when he gets to pull them out and twirl them, he loves that. It is it's, yes, it's insanely satisfying to watch. Um, but amidst the once the chaos dies down, you know something that we come to sort of figure out is that Dante was seen leaving right before the explosion went off, and we of course you know. Being the audience and having that particular perspective, we know that he probably didn't have anything to do with it, and that See, in fact say that. the evil, the evil woman with the mask, uh, <laughs> who straight up said she was aroused by the fact of people turning on one another, uh, and you know, who and was later clearly stuck her tongue in a guy's ear, Ugh. like <laughs> which, which, which by the way was not directed. That was. <gasps> That was uh, what. So Lydia and Jack worked that out ahead of time, and Lydia just came and was like, "Hey, I'm going to do something. Will you go with me on it?" Uh, oh my God. When I said, it "Does it does Jack know?" She's like, "Yeah, he, like he's cool. <laughs> uh, whatever it is you're going to do." She's. Like, I was like, "Okay," and sure enough, she just goes and just sticks his, sticks her tongue in his ear, and I think everybody watching, everybody on the monitor was just like. <laughs> <laughs> That. Yeah, that. Thank yeah. you. Mm -hmm. It was mm -hmm. so creepy and like uncomfortable to watch, and yet again, so effective for that character. Yeah. Okay, so we've established that Pandora is a talker, at least because she has all these comments about the living are so predictable and whatnot. Um, him being into that is is this necrophilia? Are we going there? Uh. In a manner of speaking, yeah, I guess that's we. You sort of ask right. the question of what are you know what are talkers? How human are they? And can we you know can <laughs> can, can humans and talkers have relationships? I mean, we've already sort of established the sort of like dead undead thing with yeah. Murphy and Pie Girl and Baby Lucy and and uh, married couples are still married even after they're both undead. Yeah. yeah, it's that that thought did cross my mind. I was wait a minute, but, but Murphy wasn't technically dead. Yeah. He was king of the zombies well, and had some weird stuff going on, but he no, was No, no, he alive. is technically dead. That was a that not? was a whole story point. That was a plot point in uh, at the end of season 3. Okay. I should probably save it for predictions. But what if Pandora's not a talker? What if she's a blend? And that's the purpose of the mask, is to hide a bite mark on her cheek. 
I mean, possibly, but the way that she's covered and the fact that she's covered down to the second knuckle of her fingers and she's showing almost no exposed skin except for fingertips and half her face makes me think that her death was pretty horrific. It could be. I think that mask is going to come off at some point and we are going to get some amazingly gruesome makeup. It is a terrifying visual, for sure. Oh, yeah. I will tell you she wears the the mask and the latex for a reason. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure she's dead in a horrifying way. Potentially rotting. Uh, Potentially, that's what keeps her together. I do want to talk to you a little bit about directing um, uh, for this character because she says so much with so little just in terms of the way she moves across the screen and the way she interacts um, with other characters. She's insanely graceful, um, but yet so unsettling. She's got a great physicality. And that's, I mean, that is Lydia. I mean, if you if, if you have the opportunity to meet Lydia, hopefully you guys will have her on the show at some point. I'm working on it. <laughs> um, uh, I think... She's she's in and out like she she disappears for a couple of episodes and then comes back. But if nothing else, certainly by the end of the season, uh, she has some really uh, really great episodes. If if nothing else, I think twelve has she has some really wonderful like that would be a great episode for her to come in and talk about. But uh, Lydia originally auditioned for a for basically a different part, a part that was written for a guy. Uh, and the character of Pandora, like they got her, uh, Carl saw her audition was like, I'm going to rework a character, like a, a totally different character for her. Basically, they made Pandora for Lydia. That's incredible. Um, to play off of all of those, all of the things she does physically, all of the things she does with performance. Uh, and I mean, she, she really, she's a huge horror fan, a huge zombie fan to begin with. So she really, you know, came with an idea and, you know, I, I helped direct it a little bit and helped push her in specific directions, but a lot, so much of it is her. She's amazing. I hate that character. <laughs> She's amazing. <laughs> it's just that sort of like, oh, look at how much I don't trust you. Like, she's just, just got just, like... Just wait. <laughs> she's just got neon signs above her that say, I'm evil! <laughs> I think just if you wanted like a tiny bit... To just sum up this character, I think, without any dialogue, it would just be that scene of her looking on at the chaos and licking her mask. Licking the lips on the, the side of her mask. Yeah. Like, Whoa, if that doesn't paint a picture. She I ha- mean, she I then mean, licks a guy's ear, so. She has a very expressive tongue. <laughs> Put that on a shirt. <laughs> she uh, She's a very unsettling character, and yet I can't wait to see more from her. Yeah. So I want to know why. Just why. I want to know what sort of nefarious scheme she has up her sleeve. Um, however, um, oh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, Renji in chat says, I think she was burned alive. Possibly. She's a witch. <laughs> Maybe. Well, clearly not it's entirely because her fingertips in this half of her face yes. are... Everything except for the fingertips in the face. Aside from that, explosion. Who knows? Uh, it could be. I mean, we did have unkillable zombies last season. Uh, she we might had blasters two seasons ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we. Uh, well, there were specific zombies last season that headshots didn't work, um, and so it could be that she has a portion of her skull missing, and that's why she wears the mask. We don't know. We shall see. <laughs> we, ah. we, we, you guys have talked about what like talkers like pre pre black rain, post black rain. Like, why talkers 
are what they are, right? Well, we've speculated. We, yeah. We've just assumed that the Black Rain is responsible for that. But, you know, in terms of the how and the why, we can only guess. That is the... Sure. And, and frankly, we don't know either. That's But that's part of the mystery is... You know, what What was the Black Rain actually? And even that's one thing that Sun May is working on, is trying to figure out what was in the Black Rain, why why are talkers still conscious? Uh, hashtag Z Nation Science. How exactly was this meant Z-Nation to be Science. the... How is it exactly that this was meant to be the reset? Yeah. Right. And then what the heck are biscuits? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where that's did they come from? That's a thing that worries me because it's, oh, we don't have a supply. Who are you getting them from? Who's the manufacturer? Why does Dante seem to be the only one carrying a consistent supply? Like, you don't ever put all of your supplies with one person, as we've discovered, because when something happens to that one person, you are up a creek without a biscuit. Well, speaking of Dante, uh, <laughs> we, oh, Dante. Do, we do see him a little bit in this episode. We see him making his escape. With Murphy on the back of the truck. Which <laughs> I don't think Dante knew he was there. He absolutely didn't. <laughs> I don't think Dante knew he was there either. He certainly didn't act like he did. I'm not, I'm fairly certain that Murphy didn't even know that Dante was the one in the van. I think he just saw a van leaving and went, okay, here's my ride. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Uh, But I will say that Dante definitely, you know, it's telling that he took time to make eye contact with uh, George on his way out the, on his way out the gate. And I love that we got that scene of Dante. Murphy? <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> Kalita saying Murphy was one of the funniest things in this entire yeah. episode. That you whole... can just hear that, oh, good, you're alive, combined with, oh, God, not again. And there he goes. <laughs> you worked so hard to find me, and now you're leaving me behind. Uh, although as far as, certainly for, like, mission purposes, Murphy doesn't have the same importance that he once did, or at least we don't, you know, we don't think he does. Uh, you know, we're, we will see Murphy again. Fear not. Oh, I, well, you just <laughs> told us there was going to be a Purgatory is not it. Limbo. Limbo, limbo episode. <laughs> um, yes, we have teased Limbo and we will we will not disappoint. Uh, well, before we get into uh, Murphy and what he does once he makes his exit, uh, I want to talk to you guys really quickly about iTunes. Folks, thank you so much to everybody who's gone to iTunes to rate, subscribe, leave a comment. We love hearing from you. It is the best way to let our producers know that you guys like the show that we're putting on. So if you guys haven't already done so, rate, subscribe, five stars. That would be the best. And we we know we have an international audience, too, So, if, uh, but we can't see those iTunes comments. But they do still count. So if you guys are one of our international watchers, please uh, go ahead and leave a review, take a screen cap of it, and then put it in the hashtag ABTVZNation on Twitter, and we will definitely give you guys a shout out on the show. We love you guys. Y'all are the best. Mwah! All right. Let's go ahead and talk about Murphy because yeah, he's gone on quite a journey already in the short three episodes we've had this season. You know, he's he's gone out on a limb to look for somebody else, uh, which is not something he typically does. And then they finally make it to New America where he gets relegated to science experiment almost immediately again. And everyone calling him Lucifer, which... <laughs> kind of love because previously he was Blucifer. I'm waiting for the minute he gets into a fight with somebody and someone just yells, not today, Satan. <laughs> I'm waiting uh, for that moment. Yes. Um, note, note to the writers for season six. <laughs> just like, <laughs> we'll text Michael and Carl. <laughs> Be like, we have an idea. Um, but 
you know, when things start to go south, as they are wont to do whenever our group enters a new place, uh, Murphy kind of can immediately see the writing on the wall and goes, time for me to hit the old dusty trail. My friends will catch up when this place is burned to the ground. (laughs) I'm sure that's sort of the mindset. Yeah. I mean, fundamentally, Murphy is Murphy. His self-preservation is his guiding star. Hey, he can't help anybody if he himself is no longer alive. He also can't help anybody if he doesn't feel like it. <laughs> Potentially that as well. Yeah, certainly certainly Murphy has moments of heroism, but always under everything is is he's very rarely, you know, truly altruistic. There's always a degree of self-serving uh, a self-serving nature to his actions. And so oh, yeah. well, Save My Own Hide is is definitely priority number one for him in this episode. And we may be seeing some upcoming ramifications of that self-serving nature from his past because I loved this as a misdirect because we have a shady character wandering around. And in, in a hood. In the always way- filmed from the back. And I'm like, oh, it's Ghostface. In the wake of, uh, you know, uh, a bomb going off, we're like, okay, is this person an accomplice of Pandora? Are they a completely unrelated third party that just wants to tear down New America? We don't know. We just know that this guy uh, is is obscured up until he starts following Murphy. And then that's when we get the reveal that it is, in fact, Wesson, who was a blend that Murphy created back in season three. And also, we had no blends at all, and they were completely missing from season four. Uh, the only hint was that the blends had been rounded up and experimented on by been you know uh, experiment fodder for Zona, uh, but we didn't address whatever happened to any specific characters. So uh, Wesson was one of Murphy's key lieutenants, and he's the guy who has heard rumors about the Big Red One. Uh, <laughs> Wandering the apocalypse, and I mean, they still have a connection. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he there, you know, he's drawn like a compass to Murphy, and sure enough, finds him and needs to make sure it's him before he can reveal himself. Yeah. This really just makes me wonder what happened to Zona. I mean, we knew it was going to hell, but then what? My my question, and I'm starting to maybe connect a few dots a little bit, <clears throat> because we did see the blends, you know, kept in Zona, you know, basically in, like, cryogenic stasis, in sort bags. of. In bags. Um, so, yeah, as you mentioned, they were experimenting on them. And then talkers show up after the black rain. Coincidence? Yeah, probably. <laughs> Raising an eyebrow suggestively for our iTunes listeners. I don't know. Maybe there is a connection there. Maybe not. Maybe there are two completely unrelated story threads, but... Hashtag Z Nation science. <laughs> there <laughs> might be. There Although, might not be. Although if you notice when the, when the uh, carpool pulls up and everybody gets out, the blends do look different now. The black rain has affected them. So they have they have a different sort of skin look to them now and, and a, a different design. So. Now, am I remembering correctly? Did they pull up in a red car? Yes, they did. I kind of like that, you know, Murphy's red now and they all pull up in a red car. After Wesson put the red rock on the road, like, here's the carpool stop. It's portable. Yep, that was most definitely by design. I love it. I, I just love it. So, like, and, and you are wearing red in honor of Murphy, I'm guessing. <laughs> I was wearing red because today's temp job required business casual, and this was easy. <laughs> Super cute. <laughs> but I, I do like uh, red being uh, a potential motif for Mur- Murphy moving forward. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we should definitely talk about 
uh, love triangle stuff because red. Threesome. Speaking of red, uh, red and Murphy or that's red a good, that's and a good wow, that's a red and ten k. <laughs> I'm sure there are some fix on Ao3 about red and Murphy. Let's be real. <laughs> I'm sure someone out there ships it. Um, but red and deepest 10K. red. <laughs> that's what yeah. they call it. Red and 10K, um, they keep sort of being ships in the night. Uh, you know, they keep, every time they want to get together to actually sit down and talk, you know, like couples who haven't seen each other in a long time would probably want to do, emergencies keep happening. There's always some crisis that needs saving. It's almost like they're still in the zombie apocalypse. Yep. Uh, and so they keep being ships in the night. And something that they ultimately kind of need to talk about is something that Red recognizes, that he and Sarge had a connection because they hooked up. Whether or not they ever considered themselves a couple was probably not ever really something that they ever talked about, but they definitely did hook up, and they, are, they were combat buddies, obviously. Um, so... Her recognizing that there was a connection there and wanting to talk about it and never getting the chance to talk about it was something that they kept having near misses of this entire episode. So you were mentioning before that the love triangle was kind of something you wanted to lean into a little bit more. Well, once I knew that, well, I mean, once I saw that uh, Red was going to come back this season, uh, uh, you know, the first question is, oh, wow, how are we going to handle Red, Sarge, and uh, Red and Sarge and 10K? And, you know, does he does he get put in a position where he has to make a choice? And strangely enough, he doesn't. But that's, you know, the stuff that uh, that teen drama is built on is <laughs> is awkward romantic situations and love triangles. Uh, but we don't even we don't even get a full episode of it. It's uh, it's squashed before it ever gets going. And I'm I'm sure many people were probably expecting us to explore that a little more but instead we we throw the classic Nation curveball and kill off one corner of the triangle remember See, i'm just <laughs> disappointed that nobody ever goes for a threesome it's a valid <laughs> solution and no one considers it come I, on guys i kind of thought it was going to be leaning that way considering how sensitive red was being about sarge and her feelings and wanting to make sure that she was okay and everything like that um but something i i'm just kind of like looking back on and kind of smiling about was like remember the days when 10k couldn't even talk to a girl <laughs> and now he's like trying to juggle two girlfriends <laughs> Remember that this guy was raised in the woods by his survivalist father, whom he had to put down when he turned. Like, he's come a long way. He's been very well adjusted, all things considered. Yeah, you know, he nearly died. He was made into a slave against his will. He also nearly died again. And he keeps losing people that he falls in love with, but and nah, now, he's fine. And losing body parts. Yeah. Yeah. I was, in terms of uh, sort of shocking things in this episode, 10K losing a hand was definitely not ever anything I saw in the cards in any capacity. Um, so that was a shocking moment, especially because that whole sequence was drawn out and done in very in slow-mo. And you, it sounds like you guys had a lot of fun, too, in the sound design department. Oh, at, at big time. And that's, I mean, the, the two big areas of sound design focus in this episode were the very beginning with the chaos and then uh with with sarge's death and 10k losing his hand uh that that sequence was an entire day so that was i mean wow. we, we talk about how tight the schedules are but the the ten, the death of sarge and 
uh, 10K losing his hand, even though it's only a couple minutes of screen time, was an entire day of the was an entire day of the episode. So uh, clearly, that was a part a section that we cared a lot about, and really it needed a lot of time, a lot of coverage, uh, and you know we really focused on the performance. You know there were there were prosthetics with practical blood tubes and and uh, you know a hand that separated and. Uh, you know, it was a it was a deal, and then of course the blood you know the blood cannon for Sarge dying, <laughs> which by the way I didn't know that they had put a head in there. They didn't tell me that. So when the blood cannon goes off and a head goes flying, that was a real that was a practical head. That's not a CG head. Um, oh man! And then I and, the, and then when it real. lands and hits the ground again, that was just chance. I like thought it, that looked real. I was like, is that? Hmm. <laughs> That's our circle take. That's our circle take. There was only one take. Well, there you go. So, then. That is and, the circle take. And, uh, the the camera that tilts and follows it. That that was the Peter Green, the DP of that episode, who is you know stellar job. Yeah, really, really good operating on that. Just following, managing the time and follow that explosion perfectly. Uh, uh, did he know about the head? He did not know about the head either. Oh um, man. <laughs> I mean, way to like, way to adjust. I feel like you need to tell your cinematographers this stuff. Uh, well, you don't know what what's going to happen uh, when when an, an explosion goes off. This is that, true. That was a that was a uh, sneaky bonus from the effects team. Uh, but since you were talking about sound, yeah, the dropping out of sound for those moments after 10K's hand gets cut off, and then the sort of submarine mm-hmm. sound design when we come into the final act and. Uh, Red and Sun May are talking about him, and he's just totally, completely in shock. He's not even hearing them. It's like, you know, yeah, it's he's yet it does very much sound underwater or, or like it's underwater or like it's muffled or like he's hearing them through a door. I love um, that so much. It's very uh, well done, and it's that's the thing we actually discovered in in the editing room, uh, and it, it it totally changed the dynamic of the scene and made it work really effectively. The other thing I'll throw out because it it again we talk about sort of like tying things back to earlier uh, things that were set up was because I got to do uh, Mueller's death in season three, the music that plays when Sarge dies is a reworking of the same musical <gasps> cue from, oh, Mueller, from when she has to wow. kill uh, Lieutenant Mueller. I just oh, got goosebumps. Man. Um, I would love to actually now sit down and watch those two scenes back to back and and listen for it now that I know it's there. And those you, are really the only times, both in both episodes, those are really the only times we go into slow-mo. Because certainly slow-mo has a lot of different uses in Z Nation. Different directors employ it differently. There's a little bit when the van is escaping, from when uh, Dante's escaping, and you see him in slow-mo and Murphy in slow-mo. But for the most part, the episode plays it entirely normal speed until you get to 10k losing his hand and sarge dying and by the same token in uh season four episode three the whole episode plays at normal speed until you get to sarge uh having to shoot mueller the uh oh, wow that that's an excellent parallel um i i, I i'm kind of sitting here going like but did 10k even need to lose his hand because we had that yeah. comment from Renji a little further up about isn't he immune? And but the answer I don't is, know that. Yeah, the answer is you want to take that chance. Well, here's the thing: he probably he, this is the real tragedy of it, and this is me 100% speculating. The real tragedy of it is that if he was immune, that was never something that Red knew. He was, and, yeah. And so she made a split-second decision in an attempt to save his life. So she might have just maimed him 
completely unnecessarily. But she, so, again, she had no uh, way well, of knowing. The the I mean, the answer to the question, the answers to the question are one. Really, we don't know. We do know that he was at one point immune to zombies, and then Sunmay ejected him with her serum, and like they killed him and brought him back at the end of season three. But also, it's worth noting that zombies are interested in him. Zombies, yeah. zombies are willing to attack him, which says he's not a zombie. So he's not immune. He's no longer immune to zombies, to the interest of zombies. Yeah. And he at least has, he has a heartbeat. We established that in... 6 BPM, but nonetheless. Yeah, it's, it's low, it's hard to read, but he does have a heartbeat. So yeah. he's not dead dead. Yeah, after the Black Rain, you know, we don't know what's exactly how, how the zombies have been altered. And I still put it as, you want to take that chance? And the on, answer is no. On that same token, it might not have been enough. Yeah. <laughs> like, so it might have been the right thing to do. It might have been an effort that was completely in vain because he would have been fine. Or it could have been an effort in vain because... Ne- like He's going to become just, a zombie in yeah, the first just second getting, of next episode. Yeah, like, oh, just him getting shoot. bitten was already a death sentence. We don't know. We're well, going to have to wait and see. And he also could bleed out. That's a pretty... That's a pretty severe wound, and uh, I think somebody even makes a point of saying he's lost a lot of blood. Keep an eye on him. He's lost a lot of blood. He could die of infection. Literally anything could happen. It was a very risky move. Tourniquet cauterize. Yeah, I mean, there are doctors there. Yeah. <laughs> Probably fine. Tourniquet cauterize. Um, although, uh, we, we touched on it. Let's talk about Sarge a little bit, because as I mentioned before, I had a very visceral, emotional re- reaction to her death sequence. I, to your guys' credit, I think it was incredibly well shot and incredibly moving and a good send off for the character herself. It was very, uh, it was a very noble self-sacrificing end. Yeah. However, um, we talked, when we talked to David Michael uh, last season of when this character was introduced, he told us a story about how this character um, was named to honor a fan of the show who, who had passed away. Uh, And that, so Sergeant with uh, Sergeant Lily was named after this particular character. I I wanted to go ahead and discuss this about whether or not killing off this character was an insensitive thing to do. Uh Katie, any any thoughts? I mean, nobody's safe in this show. That we talked about the closer to the beginning of the episode, we learned that a long long time ago. Nobody's safe, and you definitely can't give someone plot armor for a fourth wall reason. So if she had to go, she had a hero's death. Like, that is probably the best way that you could have done it. Uh, absolutely. And I think the greatest disservice we could, I mean, the the greatest dishonor we could have done uh, was, to, was to cheapen the character or give her a cheap death or, you know, dishonor the character in some way. I think crafting a good arc and a good story and a, and a, honorable character who dies in an honorable noble act of self-sacrifice you know is is about as good an homage or about as good as an honorific as you can hope for to somebody who's uh who who is the namesake of said character so um yeah it's uh, what's 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 the point of bringing a character into a show that has a lot of people die if there is not the possibility that that character could die yeah it's it's unreasonable for any character in the show to be 100% infallible or um, to have plot armor, as you described. I, I will say it uh, It did upset me uh, upon that initial viewing. I, I was very upset by it. But 
thinking about it and kind of marinating on it, obviously, I I don't believe that there was any disrespect meant. And so, like, I, I'm I'm definitely here going like, okay, yeah, no, I, I completely understand the intent behind this character's send-off. But we didn't, I did want to discuss it. We didn't put her under a dumpster for six months and then have her <laughs> horribly murdered. Like, you know, it could always be worse. I mean, hopefully her death is sad. I mean, that is yeah. 100% the intention. It should be sad. It should be tragic. And... Uh, and I think the audience responded. I mean, certainly, uh, certainly it was tragic, a tragic experience for me in a very, you know, weirdly satisfying way, (laughs) but, uh, but tragic nevertheless. And I think that's, you know, uh, there is tragedy in death. And if we can, uh, communicate that to the audience, then we've done our jobs. Yeah. Well, it's always painful when we lose a member of the main cast and that's what she'd become. The, uh, yeah. And I, I kind of, I think back on this series, and I'm trying to think of like the last time a character death really hit me this hard. Um, Lucy's was a tough one to sit through, um, but I think the last time I was hit this hard with a character death was Mac, um, actually, because it was done in very sort of similar fashion in terms of slowing everything down and the the musical choices, um, and so that for for me was definitely. Like the, I'm trying to like again the the last time I was like this emotionally responsive to a character death, because um, when this show kills off characters, it doesn't do it willy nilly when they're a part of the team. It doesn't do it just solely for shock value. It there's always an intent behind it. Well, and also what makes those deaths so affecting, in addition to the fact that you have time and experience, like you've you've had such a journey with these characters is the reactions of the people who they are closest to. The fact that it's Addie who has to kill Mac yeah. is, and she did, su- and Anastasia gave such a great performance there. That is what is so affecting for, certainly for me as a viewer. And the same thing, you know, I got choked up watching Lucy's death because Keith and then later Kalita, yeah. those were just absolutely heartbreaking performances. Those were beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's it's 10K's reaction to, you know, it's 10K his, his moment of understanding that Sarge is about to is is about to die, that is so affecting. I think for the audience, and certainly the moment you know, the, all the filmmaking tricks in the world won't change the fact that somebody else has to be affected by the death for it to be impactful for the audience. Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, uh, my my very emotional reaction aside, I think one of the best elements of that whole sequence was just the moment her eyes gray over right before the bomb goes off. It was exceedingly effective and very well done. For me, it was pulling the grenade and going, oh, oh, because that's, she knows she's done. Might as well take everyone else down with her. As you do. Which, by the way, very direct aliens reference. (laughs) That makes sense. Game over, man. (laughs) That's uh, that's not how Hicks went out, but yeah, that was that was definitely that was Vasquez. Yeah, that was Vasquez. It's Vasquez and Gorman. That was one of the best death sequences in that movie. So good. All right, so um, like, yeah, let's let's get a little bit back to our our main crew because they decide to take off after Dante, um, and yeah, we we meet a sort of a band of vigilantes along the way, and. Uh, <laughs> They're terrible. <laughs> They're just, and I love that we see the initial caravan with Murphy and him being like, ah, uh, yeah, no. 
and then coming upon them later and them just, you know, we're going to slow down and we're going to kill some talkers. Never mind that they're still sentient and self-aware. Nah, let's let's do a murder that may or may not count as a murder because they're already dead. Like, huh? it's a weird moral gray area, but you probably shouldn't kill something that has the ability to have a conversation with you. And it's a trap. And it's beautiful. I, I... <laughs> I mean, you have to hand it to them for for being good sports because I can't imagine that filming a sequences where uh, without their clothes was probably super fun for them. I actually think they had a. I actually think they had a pretty good time. They had a. They all had a very very good sense of humor about it. Um, I mean, it also uh, the the you know fact that uh, the sort of lead vigilante is uh, a. You know, is is like a chiseled, hunky guy. Yeah, a good set of tattoos. He was very handsome. Yeah, it was <laughs> some, some, something that was commented on extensively throughout uh, by by everybody who got that piece of footage along the way. Um, there was there were lengthy conversations. There's a I think there's an actual time limit of how much butt we can air on TV on TV, and I, I think it is every allowable frame is. <laughs> Uh, is 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 used down to the precise time code, <laughs> the exact right amount of butt. <laughs> um, uh, but no, I per, I thought that was that to me was the best comedy moment of the entire episode, and the you know the guy the one vigilante waving. waving, and the other two guys looking. I like rarely do I laugh at something like a joke behind the monitor when we're filming it. That was legitimately hysterical. The uh, again, this show for for all as dark as it can get, um, you guys always do a really good job of balancing those really dark, heavy moments out with moments of levity. Um, and so we sort of wrap up this storyline um, when ultimately we find out that most likely Pandora stopped uh, stopped Dante's van in their tracks and tortured whoever was left there for information. Um, and yeah, we were, it's not quite a dead end, but it's definitely not promising. Um, and it's ugly. Yeah. It's oh pretty God. ugly. Um, so on that note, let's go ahead and delve into some real quick rapid fire predictions for next week. We got the whole thing. You're after Buzz TV predictions. And the light show. I'm g- <laughs> bought the episode on Amazon. It didn't come with the preview for next week. I forgot to go to YouTube. However, I do know that next week's episode is called Pacifica, and I would love to see an episode about Here's what happened while George was gone. I love that. I, I didn't get to see the preview either. Uh, I so also watched it on Amazon. Informed predictions tonight. <laughs> um, I uh, yeah, I feel like we're we're finally going to get um, Dante's side of what happened at, during that event. I think we're not going to get that until I want to say at least mid-season, maybe two. I don't know. These seasons go by pretty quickly. This we'll is true. See. We'll see. This is true. Um, Are you well, guys having Jody next week? Yes. Okay. Ooh. I mean, things that I'm not supposed to say, but yeah, I think so. Like, well, we try not to announce people ahead of time because sometimes scheduling happens. Uh, yeah. You guys are trying to have the director of that episode next. Yes, week. we're um, making every effort. Uh, well, I did not work on that episode in any capacity, so I cannot tell you much about what happens. But I, but you obviously know that Pacifica is where George comes from, and and supposedly is a place where uh, humans and talkers live in. About you know, it's about as harmonious as it gets. So uh, knowing what you know about Z Nation, how Z Nation oh, no! goes, uh, it's very rare that a place goes to hell when the camera's not on it. 
Right. And let's 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 just say it, it, nothing is nothing is uh, is all sunshine and roses. So. Well, as the the director of this episode and of the last episode, is there anything else uh, you you want to say about um, having directed these two episodes? Oh, geez, that's a broad question. Um, hmm. Like that might be. I, I do really well with specific things, really broad things. Um, uh, How about that little book themed Easter egg you told us about earlier? Let's cap off with that. Ah, fair enough. So in the in the fight sequence in the Congress Hall in the beginning, when George reaches down to pick up a book to bludgeon a zombie to death with, the book in question, if you manage to freeze frame it, is Dante's Inferno. For some reason, I thought it was a Bible. I watched that scene twice, and I thought it was a Bible. So I'm very glad to have learned that because I'm that's great. So happy you shared that with yes. us because that that brings me a lot of joy. <laughs> uh, coming out of the titles, the uh, the two zombies who Warren kills at the very end of the fight are also my cousins. What? <laughs> they were so your cousins. I, I should say I should say my my cousin Jamie and her uh, and her fiance Rohan. Aww. Oh, that's so but, fun. So family came out, and I got to kill them on camera, which is always extre- extraordinarily gratifying for me. My father was a zombie season one. Aww. Uh, and I had some friends who came to be zombie season three. So That's but awesome. I didn't get to kill them. I got to, got to kill these <laughs> two. That's awesome. Uh, well, I can't say thank you enough for, yeah. for joining us uh, on the My show pleasure. again. Do you have any other upcoming projects that you can tell us about? Um. My uh, girlfriend and I are working on a project, uh, a feature film project, uh, following a. It's basically a, a buddy comedy road trip movie uh, with two uh, disabled characters. Although it's, it has absolutely nothing to do with their disabilities, and we are featuring uh, disabled actors in the lead roles. Nice, That's amazing. That's awesome. Um, well, where can people go if they want to keep up with you and hear more about this project? So that project uh, is called Daruma. You can check it out at uh, darumamovie.com. Uh, and you can follow me on Instagram uh, at dp underscore yellow. Well, again, cannot say thank you enough. And I can't wait to see what the rest of the season has in store. So thank you so much, Alex, for joining us. It's going to be a great ride. And thank you so much for having me. We're both terrified. <laughs> As you should be. <laughs> Yay! Katie, where can people go if they want to follow you? You can follow me all over the social medias as well as on YouTube and Twitch at Kiaxe. That is K-I-A-X-E-T. And we are having a special episode of Voltron this Wednesday at 8. We're going to go over a fan-favorite episode with some special guests. So, uh... Stay tuned for that. That's on the animation channel. Uh, I want to give a special shout out to Alicia Perez on Twitter, whose gift game is, as always, 100% on point. On point. Uh, I'm Megan Salinas. You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Menguin. That's T H E M E N G U I N. Be sure to follow Michelle at Michelle underscore Cullen. And uh, on Instagram, I believe she's at awkward underscore photographer. Yes. So, again, thank you guys so, so much for joining us. We will see you all next week. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch the views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals. 